0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. 29 through 34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him.
1: Well, thank you, Morgan. Really appreciate that. As you know, we're in Matthew here this morning. Before we dive into our text, though, I want to highlight something real quick that Morgan will highlight at the end of the service. Um, But I've got a free book here. This is uh, Jen Oshman's Enough About Me. And uh, this is the focus of our most recent podcast, I believe. And so um, does anybody have a birthday today? No? All right. So what is it? Is it the, no, it's the 28th. It's not the first. All right. Who's had a birthday in February? Don't be shy. Anybody else? (laughs) Willem? I'm not sure Willem's ready for this one yet. All right, man. This is technically targeted at your wife, but I'll leave that up to your discernment, Ben, if you want to uh, give that to her or not. But we can all glean from uh, less, more of God and less of ourselves, and that's what the book is all about. All right, let's look at our text here today. Matthew 20, starting in 29. I'm just going to tell you what I think the main point is this morning. And you can track with me, and you can let me know if you think I'm on to something here, or need to be corrected. I'm open to that, too. So I think the main point of this text this morning is that as God... Jesus is merciful and restores the marginalized to his community, okay? As God, merciful Jesus is one who restores the marginalized to his community, all right? So let's look here at verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So this is him and his disciples, And imaginatively place yourself in the text, there's a great crowd. Now we don't know what great is, but you could imagine this probably anywhere from, I don't know, a hundred to a thousand, maybe more, who knows? But Matthew's painting this picture for us, for his first audience, them then, and for us today. And we know there's a crowd, Jesus is popular by now. And word has gotten out who he is and what he does, the authority of his teaching The amazement at his miracles. And many people just desire to be around him, right? He draws people to himself. And so you can think, if you're placing yourself in that crowd right now, you're thinking, man, what's he gonna do next? Who is this Jesus? I wonder where we're going. I wonder what he's gonna say. And then Matthew, as he's writing our account here, he kind of stops the action. Like He goes from broad, like there's this big crowd, see the big crowd? And now he goes really narrow. And really narrow, there's these two guys by the side of the road. Verse 30, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Sitting by the roadside. All right, so there's two blind men sitting by the roadside. We're probably safe to assume that these guys were beggars. And they're, they're sitting by the roadside, just like we have people that beg on the roadside here. It's a flow of traffic. And it makes sense that where those people are, if I have needs, I want to be around them and see if they would be generous toward me, right? So blind people can't see, but they can smell, hear, taste, touch. And they can sense, because of their other senses, that there's a crowd coming. There's a crowd coming. They hear the movement of people. More voices, more walking. It's clear there's a crowd, and they hear that Jesus is the reason for this crowd. word word's got around to them, too. This Jesus guy, he can do miracles. He's doing things that no one's ever seen before. And they're thinking, this is our shot, right? This might be our only shot. Recently, our family, um, you know, we're kind of working our way through some classic movies, uh, and we watched Castaway with Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks. We have watched some classic ones with Tom Cruise, but uh, classic movie, Tom Hanks, and many of you have seen it, many of you maybe haven't, he's stranded on this island, and it is the case with many movies about people that are stranded, whether it's the TV show Lost or Castaway. There's this poignant, dramatic moment where maybe the helicopter flies over, or the plane flies over, or that, that boat sails by in the far-off distance, and what do they do? They freak out. They're trying to draw attention to themselves, start a fire, jump up and down, you know, smoke signal, whatever. Like, this is the pathway for me getting off this island of isolation. And these beggars are thinking the same exact thing. They're on an island of isolation. And Jesus is like that boat that's passing by. This is their shot. This is their shot. And that's why these guys are making a scene. They're making a scene to get noticed. Now think about it. Again, imaginatively place yourself in the text. This is not Madison 2021. This is the ancient world in the Middle East. They don't have health care like we have health care, right? They don't have laws that make provision for people with special needs like we have. So being blind in the ancient world, I mean, being blind now is not easy. We would never say that. But maybe even more so being blind in the ancient world in the time of the Bible was maybe even more difficult. And sometimes people believe that you were blind because you were cursed by God. So there's the physical hardship, but then there's the communal hardship, because who wants to hang out with those that have been cursed by God? Like one time in in, in Gospel of John chapter 9, there's there's a blind guy, and the Pharisees say, who sinned? This guy who's blind or his parents? And Jesus says, not so fast, neither. I'm not going to preach that text this morning. But we can see that people thought, if you're blind, you're cursed by God. So these guys are enduring a really hard trial. So they're making a scene, as you can understand. Look at the verse. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this statement that they make is worthy of reflection. Let's think about it. Look at the words. Look at the words in the text. They say, Lord. What is that? It means they're full of reverence. They're not calling Jesus by his first name. Like They're revering him. They're respecting him. Son of David. For Jewish ears, that was a a, a key to saying, you are in the line, the lineage of David, which is true. And they knew that out of the line of David, the Old Testament promised that the Messiah would come. And then finally they say, have mercy. They're appealing to the character of God, merciful. So I don't think they've landed on the main point that Matthew wants us to see here this morning, but they might have been close that as God, merciful Jesus is one who restores the marginalized to his community. So we don't know the full extent of their faith yet, but they're off to a great start. We can see that here, right? Well, what about the crowd? We got three characters, Jesus, these two guys, and the crowd. How's the crowd doing? They're not off to a good start. Look at verse 31. The crowd, so we have a turn of events here. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Now, this is interesting. Usually those who know how much in need of mercy they are, are quick to show mercy. But that's not the crowd here, is it? They're not showing mercy. The crowd forgot how much mercy they still needed. And they're selfishly possessive of Jesus. Like, this is our Jesus. Don't let these... These guys with their special needs and their maybe they've been cursed by God. Don't let them get in the way. No, this is our Jesus. And he's not going to be slowed down. We might have an agenda for him. Or our agenda is just to see what he's going to do next. We don't want to see him talking to these guys. See, it shows how much they, the crowd, still needed Jesus. You see the irony here? See, in a few days... Jesus, he's headed to Jerusalem. That's where we are in the narrative of Matthew. And in Jerusalem, he's going to die for the sins of the world, all those who are willing to come to him. He's going to die for their sins. And right here we see the sin of cruelty and lack of compassion. And Jesus is on his way. The crowd doesn't know what he's up to. But he's on his way to provide a way for the cruelty of human beings the selfishness of human beings to be dealt with once and for all. Like, why would they assume that Jesus wouldn't want to stop and talk to these guys? See, they're showing, the crowd's showing they don't know the true Jesus yet. They don't know yet that as God, merciful Jesus is one who restores the marginalized to his community. They don't know that yet. But let's just stop here and reflect. Can we see ourselves in this crowd? Can we see ourselves in the reaction of the crowd? Guy with special needs, two guys, in fact, with special needs. Jesus, crowd, I'm in the crowd. Like, I'll take all the mercy I can get when it's directed at me, but if other people want it, And it requires something of me, maybe like patience, as I'm following Jesus. Nope. No thanks. No thanks. You know, I'd rather not have needy people stand in the way of where I want to go with Jesus. I'd rather not have to join Jesus in in meeting the needs of needy people that are alienated and marginalized. See, these these blind guys, they're literally on the margins. There's the flow of traffic, and then there's the margin on the roadside over here, and that's where these guys are. They're literally on the margins, right? So if me following Jesus, this is a good question for us that I think Matthew wants to ask his audience then and us now. If me following Jesus means we have to engage people on the margins in some shape or form, in your context, how do I feel about that? And that's a great question to ask ourselves. Like when our city groups have a commitment to be a part of a serve once a month or, or so. Am I willing to engage there? Was it hard for me to want to engage there? Are there needs in my neighborhood that I'm aware of? Am I willing to engage? This is just a good question to ask ourselves. And, and this isn't a time to, like, beat yourself up if the answer is no. You recognize in yourself. Like, we all deal with that, a reticence to want to give our lives in, in for the sake of service of others. But that's just what we heard last week from James' message that he preached so well, right? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember last week, James and John, they wanted positions of power, top-down, authority, call the shots. And Jesus is showing them Back then in that text, the nature of true service, and now he's modeling it again for the crowd. He's saying, this is what I'm about. See, Matthew's showing us here that the crowds following him then there, and maybe us now, this crowd here this morning, need Jesus just as much as those blind beggars do. Right, They needed physical healing, and we don't know their spiritual state. Maybe they needed spiritual healing too. But we all need to return to Jesus for mercy. Now, Some of you, that's mercy for the first time. You've never even thought of your sin and how that separates you from God, how Jesus has made provision for that by bearing the wrath of God in your place. So that you can be adopted into his family and know him and love him forever as the ultimate satisfaction of your soul. Some of you already know that. And you're living in light of that. But we need to continue to live a lifestyle of repentance. And say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. So what do we see next? Next. We see persevering faith. Persevering faith. God loves persevering faith. You can see that as a theme throughout the Bible. Faith in the midst of the obstacles that won't let go of Jesus. So there's opposition, but these guys are like, I don't care. This is our shot. So what happens? They do it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. They cried all the more. It says, same words, same reverence, same honor, same request. What does verse thirty-two say? This is so beautiful. And Jesus stopped. And Jesus stopped. Jesus called them. I mean, can you imagine here in the crowd, just like slow down. The shuffling slows down. You could maybe feel the heat of everyone's gaze upon you. And, and you hear Jesus call out to them. Man, that's like that boat. When you're stranded on the island, you see it turning towards you, and it's coming your way. Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? It's not like he didn't know, right? I think he wanted to hear their faith. But I want us to just think about this. Jesus stopped and stopping, it says, verse 32. Now for sure he's got this goal and he's got his his face set towards Jerusalem. This is why he came. This is what it all builds to, a death and a resurrection. And that is gonna have to happen in Jerusalem. He's on the way. He's on the road trip. But he's not too busy or too goal-oriented to stop for those who are marginalized. Like, that's convicting to me. We just took a short road trip Friday and returned yesterday, about two and a half hours. And man, I I think some of you were raised in families like this, or maybe you're this way now, like me. Like, when it's road trip time, let's get where we're going, right? You got to go to the bathroom, hold it. You know, we're going to get where we're going. And I'm not that hardcore, but I feel that, like, internally. Like, I'm just very task-oriented. Got the destination in mind. Let's get this thing accomplished. Minimize the distractions. Get going. But I do recognize that that mindset, if you extrapolate it out and apply it in lots of different scenarios of my life, I can see how that can be at odds at times with truly loving people. Because I can say, task and the rush I get from accomplishing a task is more important than loving people. Like for me, that, that's an area where I want God to continue to grow me. And I see Jesus being not too busy to stop and engage the marginalized. That's what the text says. Jesus stopped. He stopped. Like, I want you to read mercy in those words, right? Jesus stopped. Out of his deep love and mercy, he was willing to be inconvenienced by people who could do nothing for him. Nothing to offer, right? Look at what happens next, verse 33. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's just just stop here and let let God's word remind us who Jesus is this morning. I I want us to see a new, afresh who Jesus is and be able to worship him for it. And let come to the living water that Jesus says that he is and drink and be satisfied. And God is glorified in all of that. So I want you to see two things that might not just immediately strike you in this text, but I think it should as we see Jesus heal these guys. Number 1 it's this Jesus is God Jesus is God Now listen there's there's many miracles recorded in the Bible by people other than Jesus Moses Apostle Peter the Apostle Paul But interestingly the Bible never records somebody restoring the sight of the blind other than Jesus. Just wondering if there's one miracle reserved for God alone and there's some Old Testament that supports this. Look at uh, on the screen here, don't need to turn there. Exodus 4:11. G- uh, God is talking to Moses here and he says, "The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf?" Or seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Who has the power to make someone who can't see, see? Psalm 146 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. Is not Matthew showing us here that Jesus is God? Only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only the power of God can do that. So I want us to stand back and think of the all-powerful Jesus. That's what we see this morning. The transcendence of King Jesus in all of his power to, to give blind eyes sight. But we've already said it, but I just want to underscore it again. God is not just all-powerful. God in Jesus is merciful. Jesus is God. God is merciful. Jesus shows that as God, he is merciful. Jesus already said, you want to know who the Father is? Look at me. So Jesus is merciful. Our Heavenly Father is merciful. The triune God is merciful. He's not aloof and far off right he's not oblivious to what you're going through he's transcendent in his power but he's intimate in his closeness jesus is merciful and it says here look at the words in verse 34 it says in my translation in pity he shows compassion he shows mercy he shows gentleness he touched their eyes you know what we miss in, in, in COVID and in the two-dimensional di- two nature of Zoom? It's a lack of appropriate touch. God created us for appropriate touch between human beings. It dignifies someone, right? Like I'm, you're, not, you're not gross and unclean like, like, ancient, like in the ancient world it was really popular to think of certain people. Jesus touched these guys. Like, do we, here's the question, like, do we see Jesus this way? Do we see Jesus this this way As, as someone who is gentle and merciful, willing to engage those who are most needy, including you this morning, whatever you're dealing with? Like, I need that reminder this morning. Based on a lot of reasons, maybe you can relate to this, but for some reason, my default setting is God is in heaven, and he's just waiting for me to screw up, and then he's going to whack me over the head, and I get to just start all over again trying to prove myself. Now, I know that's not true, and the gospel destroys that mindset, praise God. But that's where, if, I don't have, if, if I'm not thoughtful and remembering and thinking theologically about what the Bible says, like that's where my brain goes. But this text shows us this morning, that's not who our God is. It's not who Jesus is. It's not who your heavenly father is. It's not who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus is gentle and lowly. Like he's a lion in his power and ability to make the the, the blind to see. But he's a lamb in his willingness to be gentle And draw near those on the margins. Remember the main point. As God, merciful Jesus is one who restores the marginalized to his community. I want to see a couple more things here and then we're going to be done. Look at the last sentence. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. That just sounds like a a random detail. I don't think it is. Number one, Jesus has a mission of restoration. So think about it like this. Where is the whole Bible heading? From Genesis, the storyline of Scripture, I'm not going to rehearse it, but we should all seek to know it. Storyline of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it's not It's not reincarnation. It's linear. A biblical worldview understands history as a linear path that God has revealed. He's taking us on a journey, and we find ourselves in this story, okay? And the end of the story, what happens? Jesus returns. He makes all things right. You can read in Revelation 21, Jesus comes And he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. All things new. Like, that's a big all. All things will be made right. That's where all of history is heading. You can read that in Revelation 21, okay? Keep that in mind, right? This is is 2,000 years ago. And who knows when Jesus will return. So a long time before this point out here, Jesus shows up and he heals these two blind guys. What does that have to do with the end of the story? What it has to do is this Jesus, in a very small way, is showing how the future is breaking into the present. It's a sign, because Jesus didn't heal everybody, right? But what is he doing? He's pointing, he's saying, When I show up, there's a ministry of of restoration. All things will be restored one day. And I'm going to do that in the future, but see a glimpse of it now in these two blind guys. He's showing that he is the center of this plan that all of us long for that will one day be fully ours without hindrance of sin. That's what all of his miracles show. And his resurrection was the stamp of approval on that. This is the guy. All those things that we saw, and he raised from the dead, that's pointing to this day when it's going to happen in mass. This is a sign in this scene that one day everybody's healing will happen. So maybe maybe you have eye problems today. Maybe you, I don't know anybody in a church who's blind, but maybe someone has really problems with their eyes or really bad eyesight or might be going blind in the future. You might get healed of that through the agency of God through somebody else praying for you. Or you might get healed of that through the miracle of medical technology. Or you might get healed of that at the final day. When your body is resurrected and you have a new body just like Jesus, see 1 Corinthians 15. So what does that mean? It means it's just a matter of time. This scene right now says that you can have hope and trust that Jesus is king. Like, link this scene to his resurrection, and there is coming a day when all things will be made right. And this this text is a sign of that, is a reminder of that is uh, put your faith in Jesus because he's doing it. It's just a matter of time. But one final thing. Look at this. Their sight was recovered, and they got up and followed him. Those who are restored physically by Jesus can also get restored spiritually spiritually. And think about, what, think about the movement that's taken place in this text. Seated on the margins, where are they now? Restored to community with Jesus at the center. Healthy Christian spirituality is always connected to healthy community. That's Christianity. And that's what we see here, right? On the margins, encounter with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus changes their life, join the team, join the community. Jesus at the center. Get on board. We're going somewhere together. In this case, they're going to Jerusalem. They get up and follow Jesus. He's headed to the cross, they go with him. Now, we don't hear again from these blind beggars, we don't know what happened to them, but we do know that they got up and they joined. They were no longer on the margins. They became part of Jesus' people. They were restored to community. See that? So Jesus always has a community with him at the center. God never restores you physically or spiritually, or both, so that you can stay isolated. You, You notice he didn't tell these guys, like, just no, stay there. You're good. No, he's like, come on, let's go, join up. Part of our restoration by King Jesus means that we're restored to community. Like this text, I never thought of it and never saw it before, but this text is like a little vision of the future of the church. People are restored. They embrace Jesus as the one who is king and has the power to make all things right. They see that in this one little instance, and they draw near to him. And as they draw near to him, and they understand the implications of the gospel. Now, these guys didn't get it yet, but they would maybe, you know, five minutes after the crucifixion, or five years, or 50 years, or whatever, or, you know, 5,000 years from now. We're all in the process of learning what does this gospel mean for my life but I know for sure what it means is when I receive it and know it that's going to revolutionize my relationship to God. And I stand forgiven and I stand adopted and chosen. I have a new identity as a son or daughter of the king. But it also affects how I do horizontal relationships, right? Like the death and the resurrection of Jesus proves That he's trustworthy and can be followed. The death and resurrection of Jesus, the sending of his spirit enables us to see how God has touched us in mercy. God, I love you. And that mercy that I see, whether it's blind beggars or anybody else, that mercy has to pour out onto one another. So we have to be the opposite of what the crowd was here in this text. Because the mercy of God has touched us so deeply, we don't look at those on the margins and go, hey, you shut up. And we say, come see, come and see this Jesus who changed my life and this mercy that's exploded my heart to want to love him. Man, you gotta get in on this. You gotta get in on this. That's what church is, right? This is a little tiny vision of that future church right here in this text. God always has his community. He always restores people to his community, to him and to one another. As God, merciful Jesus is the one who restores the marginalized to his community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word this morning. We thank you so much for what it means for us and what you're doing for the sake of your glory and our joy in this world by the power of your word and your spirit. And we just ask that it would continue as we um, continue in our service this morning. Amen.
0: Well, we come now to the Lord's table, a time of communion. Um, I think if anybody doesn't have the communion elements, I think there'll be a helper going around to, to, to give you some. Just, just raise your hand, and Olivia will track you down. Um, communion's a time where we acknowledge and rejoice in the fact that God is really present with us and for those who trust in Jesus, they have a special union with Him. So it's also a time where we proclaim to an onlooking world that yes, Christ has died, granting a way for forgiveness of sins; that Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that we can we can trust Him, that the Bible is trustworthy, and like Je- like Zach said, that Jesus will return and make all things new and make all things right. So for those listening from home, I think there'll be a prayer on your screen. I encourage you to to read and meditate on that. I'm going to read from Matthew. It's Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. The body of Christ, broken for you. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. blood of Christ shed for you amen well let's rejoice and praise God uh, with, with song you know what to do I just encourage you, as we get ready, just to meditate on the character of who God is. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That that's who he is, and that doesn't change. And so in our, our only real response to that is to just respond with genuine praise and worship. So that's what we're going to do. Oh, what a savior.